Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Oh, let's talk about being poor. Listen, I talk about being poor all the time because we live in Los Angeles now where a lot of people here either make a lot of money or come from a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, this movie hits real different when you know what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> so to kick things off, I just want to know, um, have you ever uh, stood outside an ice cream parlor and been like, can I please have money? The doctor says I need it for my asthma and conned somebody into giving you money for ice cream i mean not that specific thing Mm -hmm. but i definitely like had cockamamie ed ed and eddie schemes to try to make money as a kid Ooh, ed ed and eddie schemes is a perfect way to put it because oh i did that shit too (laughs) yeah i remember the least successful one is i went through my childhood belongings and i was maybe seven years Mm -hmm. old it was like i'm gonna do a little little garage sale on the front lawn i'm gonna sell my things (laughs) and um it didn't really occur to me like you live at the end of a dead-end street yeah people are just casually driving by looking for a yard sale they aren't so i just sat there for a couple hours until i got bored and went okay went back inside (laughs) The same thing happened with a lemonade stand because that's what did your parents ever do? That? I was like, you want to make money, you make a lemonade stand. I mean, because it's never, the nineteen fifties. They never outright told me to do a lemonade stand. It's just I think something that I absorbed by osmosis of like when you want money, you make a lemonade stand. So then we, I was like, I'm gonna make a lemonade stand, and of course we use like Kool Aid brand lemonade, mm-hmm. not even like Country Time. We use Kool Aid, so you know that shit was sugary as hell, and. Maybe like the mailman bought a thing or like the parents that lived in the street bought it. And we were like, oh, we made a dollar. We're rich. Mm Because, you know, when you're five, any money is a lot of money to you. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, goodness. But yes, we are talking this week about Sean Baker's The Florida Project. Sean Baker is a director that Harmony and I both love pretty dearly. Uh Uh-huh. And we're probably not really going to ever get to talk about him on our show. And Starlet would be the closest, and that's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, Starlet's a stretch. I mean, honestly, even the Florida Project is a stretch. But the way we were talking about it and why we're going to like justify it for this show is that at its core, yes, this is a teen girl movie podcast, but more well, so... We, we did Matilda. Yeah, it's a coming-of-age podcast. the Olsen twins. Mm-hmm. This is about kids who are well outside where their age should be. Definitely. And while I don't think that there are kids casually watching The Florida Project the way they were Olsen twin movies or Matilda, this is very much a story about what happens when a kid does 
come of age. We come of age multiple times throughout our lives. And when you are a kid who lives the way that Mooney does, um, sometimes one of those realizations happens a hell of a lot earlier than your peers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to talk about it because it's kind of the perfect movie to talk about it. And it's a good ass movie. It's fucking good. It's a goddamn masterpiece. So I don't remember what your history is with this movie. I feel like this is one that I introduced to you, but I don't remember. That's correct. Okay, well, um, <laughs> tell me what you remember. Um, I believe that this was fairly new at the time, and uh, you were really stoked to show me because you're like, it's the guy who did Tangerine, the movie that was shot on the iPhone, and I was like, oh shit. Um, so then we watched it and. It didn't hit me quite as emotionally as it did this time. Like, Mm -hmm. I loved it. This time I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this also hit me a lot harder than I was expecting it to. And I think it's because the last time I watched it, I wasn't a teacher yet. And I talk about it on the show a lot. But if this is your first episode, when I was a teacher, I used to teach in I hate the language for it, but we're going to use it because it's the easiest way to understand it. I taught in inner city schools in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, 100 percent of my kids lived in poverty. Um, I dealt with an entire school of Moonies. So I have unfortunately seen and witnessed myself what it looks like when many many children become aware of their circumstance um, compared to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. the way that Mooney does at the end of this movie. So when she started crying, oh, I was, I was done. I was done, Yin Rings. I was fucked mm-hmm. <laughs> watching this movie. Uh, it got really real for me really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, oof, yeah, that's, that's the power of Sean Baker movies, though. That's what these movies do. They reel you in with these characters that you love so much, and then he just kicks you in the kneecap. Yeah. (laughs) So if by chance you have not seen The Florida Project, here is your synopsis. Set over one summer, the film follows precocious six-year-old Mooney as she courts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates and bonds with her rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Walt Disney World. God, when you call it like precocious and ragtag, it makes it sound like, wow, look at this silly fun time movie. Yeah. Same, same <laughs> thing with the trailer, because like, I was like, how do you even pitch this movie as a trailer? Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the director of Tangerine and A lot Willem of Defoe. emphasis on Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe's here. I mean, he's the name here. He is. Yeah. And he was he was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. And I think, as well as probably other awards. Oh yeah. He he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, like across the board. I don't think he won any of them for this, but William Defoe doesn't win awards. Because the Tragically. world the world does not let him be great. Yeah. In a in a different world. Have Willem Defoe came up now, he probably would be relegated to movies of this caliber as like a character actor. But he came up at a time when we were like, no, we're going to just like kind of let our like really acclaimed, talented actors be in big movies and look kind of like a weirdo. And to clarify, he did win a lot of like Critic Circle Awards, just none of like the big ones like Golden Globe, 
Oscar or anything like that. But he did get nominated. And he just got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hell yeah, he did. I want to go visit it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go visit it and like wear leather overalls like I'm in Streets of Fire. Those, those waders? Yeah. Go up to the nipples? <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to do. Hell yeah. That's yeah. what I want to do. So, <laughs> Fashionable so, fly fishing. Yeah, why not? Um, but yeah, like the trailer for this made it seem like this whimsical kind of Sundance film that's like, yeah, there's some hardships, but like, look, it's heartwarming. And I'm like, that's not what this movie is. Mm -hmm. Like you, you really downplayed like the poverty of this film, because I think that most people who can afford to like go to Sundance, mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't, they don't have as much, uh, they, they don't have as much specific feelings for the impoverished as you and I do. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I want to get into is that, so first off, Sean Baker as a filmmaker is one of my favorites for a multitude of reasons, but one of them is that he tends to look for actors that are not actors, actors for lack of a better word. Like, I want you to be the character that I'm already doing. Right. So like when he made Tangerine and he knew that it was going to be about like black sex workers in Los Angeles, he just hired black sex workers in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. like which I think is really great. And he I also think they also like helped with the script, right? They did. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, he found the the woman who plays the mom in this, who plays Haley, um he found her online, like mm -hmm. and he and he found, you know, Mooney who really with Brooklyn Prince, who was not really an actor at that point. She's, so um, good. she's now been doing a lot of acting and she's fantastic. And I really can't wait to see where her career goes. But, you know, he got Willem Dafoe. So that adds a little bit of quote unquote legitimacy to mm -hmm. this. But th that's something that he always has done with his movies. Um, and I admire that. And he's also got his own kind of like ragtag group of regulars that he'll like incorporate in like little roles his here own and there. respective dreamlanders yes his own respective dreamlanders which i really like um and so because of that a lot of his movies feel a lot more lived in because no matter how good an actor is we can watch something and be like that's willem dafoe mm -hmm. <laughs> right like they can transform themselves as much as possible but we're watching something going that's leonardo dicaprio yeah that's Kate blanchett that's denzel washington like yep. we know that they're acting i can lose my suspension of disbelief if you really suck me in but i'm aware that you're an actor yes yes so the difference is that when you're watching a sean baker film that line gets blurred a lot faster because the majority of the people that you're watching are not people that you see every day. Mm -hmm. And the people I see every day, just not in movies. Yeah. yeah That's really yeah. what this boils down to. Sean Baker makes movies about people who don't get movies made about them. A hundred percent. Like there is this great scene in his movie, red rocket where there's like a bunch of people getting in like a fight in, in a parking lot and the teenager who's fighting's parents show up. And this woman, like, I don't know how else to describe her, but it's like, that is a woman who shows up to a gas station at four in the afternoon, chewing out somebody about not getting her cigs and missing a flip flop. And I was like, oh, I know that bitch all day. Like, mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. And it's he nails it so perfectly because it doesn't look like the way that Hollywood views you know, the the marginalized or the people that, you know, we, we like to pretend don't exist. He presents people authentically. Yes. Like Hollywood and most people who absorb stories like this, they love the drama of things. They love the heroic tales of overcoming whatever adversity you're saddled with. And that's not what these movies are really about. They're really just kind of like 
a slice of life. Like it's depicting people in a place at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how a lot of movies that deal with the kind of Sean Baker characters that we get are made. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I mean when I say like, yeah, um, you have to make like in 2017 in particular, which is not a year that I'm going to really do much context for for this show because it's like we're talking about Sean Baker. That's the best context you're going to get because uh, the teen girl movies we did from this year is several horror movies and Lady Bird. Yeah. <laughs> so like this is not really the kind of thing that you're seeing um, de- de- depicted. But I would say this is the start of like a, a new surge of indie fo- films, a new indie boom. And we're seeing a bit more of it now. Oh, yeah. This is kind of the start where people really start getting into the cult of personality that is A24. Mm. And I don't think that, like, I don't say that as an insult by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, just look at the A24 films that we've done in this show mm-hmm. and how they are not what people call A24 films. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. Um, I actually saw something yesterday where A24 has been pushing the Iron Claw on TikTok pretty hard. And people were commenting things like, it's crazy how good A24 is at telling stories. And it's become this thing where it's like, there are people that don't understand that there are writers and directors who go into creating these stories. They just see A24 and they're like, oh no, that's an A24 story. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's branding at this point. Um, I don't and- know, when I was 10 years old, I thought Ozzy Osbourne played guitar because I was like, he's the name. Right. <laughs> the guitar solo in Crazy Train, it's the best part of the song. He clearly played guitar. <laughs> but like but you're totally right. And that's sort of what starts happening around 2017 is like A24 really really starts becoming this like recognizable thing that people use as shorthand mm-hmm. at this point. Often derogatory. Often derogatory, which I think is ridiculous. It's so overly simplistic. That's the thing that gets me. It's like, no, you don't mean A24. You mean Ari Aster. Right. We talked about that when we did Lady Bird. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do I have a membership to the exclusive A24 Club? Maybe. Maybe I do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, neither here nor there. I like the variety of stuff that they put out. That I do, too. And that's, that's what I thing, like about that's them. That's the thing that gets forgotten all the time with A24 is they make so many different movies, and they never get credit for the wide variety that they provide. I mean, they did this, and then they did Marcel the Shell, and then they right. did the Iron Claw. <laughs> Right. There's <laughs> Amongst so, many other things. There's so much stuff going on. But yeah, I, I think that you're right and that looking at the context of Sean Baker as a filmmaker is much more interesting than, you know, what was going on that year. Oh, yeah. Because the other thing with Sean Baker's films is that there is a naturalism to the way that people communicate and the way that they handle conflict mm-hmm. um, that is definitely not Hollywood. No. Um, It is very real and it exists in a moral gray area unless you've lived it. Mm -hmm. If you lived it, you're like, nah, that's, yeah, that's how you settle a score. But if you haven't lived it, it's like, I don't understand what is happening. Like he shows a lot of people doing things for survival that, again, if you've lived it, you're like, yeah, this tracks. Oh, yeah. But if you haven't lived it, it's your worst fucking nightmare. Oh, yeah. And this is something I want to talk about, like, as soon as we jump into the movie, because it's like the first thing that you really get. Um, But you got we got we got things to do. first. Yeah, because it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy New Year prom party over on the Patreon this month. We got uh, we got some fun stuff and some changes for you. For our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes, we're talking about John Cusack's Better Off Dead because there's a skiing plot for some reason in this movie. 
We are also talking about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I remember that movie being funny, but I was also in high school the last time I saw it. We'll see how that works. Instead of the musical milestones this month, we're actually changing things up a little bit. We had so much fun discussing You Were My First Boyfriend that uh, we're actually going to to take a little detour for the $1 tier over there, and we're going to talk about some documentaries for a bit. This month's is called The Bad Kids, and BJ assures me that it is quite stellar, so I look forward to that. And as we're finished with My So-Called Life, we're starting a new TV homecoming, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you all are appalled and excited that we are going to spend the next few months going through the first season of Daria because I have never seen it. And I'm, I'm sorry for that, but I'm very excited about this experience. In addition to all of these fun things, subscribing to the Patreon also gets you access to the back catalog, our monthly playlist, and the suggestion box. It might be a new year, but it's the same old story as always. If you're unable to support the podcast for any reason, we just appreciate you listening and sharing us with a friend and rating us if you haven't. Uh, and leaving any comments you want on on Spotify, because you can do that. Thank you so much, and now back to the movie. Alrighty, we're back. Let it roll. What, what, what was that thought? So once you and I got through uh, Netflix being broken and break and crashing several times on our way to try and rewatch this movie... Uh, the first thing we're greeted with is We Are Family by Sister Sledge, <laughs> which uh, kind of does set the tone for what this movie is in like the cheesiest, most perfect way possible. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a bunch of like six-year-old kids spitting on a lady's car. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever spit on people's cars? Um, no, we didn't. But there was a uh, there was like a berry tree or a berry bush or something like that near my bus stop. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we used to play a game of like rolling them into the street and see if we could get the car to run over them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually that escalated to we're going to just throw them at the car. <laughs> <laughs> and only one guy stopped one time and was like, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know. <laughs> and I know exactly what those like berry trees are. They stain everything. Oh, yeah. I'm oh sure that God. if they haven't repaved that pavement, uh, it's still probably stained from 25 years ago. Oh, my God. We had, what are those bridges called where, like, it's just a walking bridge to connect one side of the street to the other. It's not at an intersection. It's Mm. like those big metal ones. Do you know what I'm talking about? The ones that go over that they build in Florida so that the crabs and the turtles can go over the highway. I mean. (laughs) But for people. Yes, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Um, But in my hometown, there were two of them for whatever reason. And they were, like, three blocks apart, which always felt unnecessary to me I was like why do you need two mm. um but anyway uh but we used to run up there all the time and just like lay on the grate and just spit down on cars and like pretend that they were people we hated and we'd make up like these backstories and we're like oh no no it's okay that we spit on this person because they're actually a mob boss and they're going to the lake to go hide a dead body like that's what they're doing so fuck them let's spit on them yeah and we would do that forever and it was to the point where like people would be walking by and they would just see figures on the bridge and know that's what we were doing. And you just have people screaming. And it was like a block and a half away from the police station. So we could have gotten in trouble for whatever. And we just didn't care. I mean, you're minors. Who cares? I mean, well, what are, what are the small g- town cops? They got another better to do care a whole lot. That's that's true. <laughs> I mean, in my small town, uh, people eventually learned like all of the police officers names 
And if you got busted for doing something you shouldn't do, then they would go, oh, did you get like Angelani or did you get like Dawkins? Oh, yeah, like, we had that too. <laughs> Angelani will like let you go. He's fine. But <laughs> yeah, we had the same thing. We knew which cops were like were going to be cool and which cops were going to like make make things a problem. Yeah. Like um, a bunch of children who have done enough nonsense and spread like the word through like the kid <laughs> system to figure out like, yeah, this is the guy you want. Yeah. A hundred percent. Which one's related to someone we know? Yeah. So <laughs> like, like that kind of thing. That was a whole ass <laughs> thing of just being like a being a shitty kid who did shitty things. It's fine. But I love the way that the conflict of this movie immediately pops off because like they spit on this lady's car and then she's like, what the fuck? And they're just like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like no chill. <laughs> fuck you. Screaming at her. Um, one of their kids, I think his name is Dickie, gets busted. And then this lady ends up going to. uh to Haley's house to yell at uh, her. So like Mooney's mom ends up getting involved in that and she doesn't give a care. She's like, oh my God, you're like such a delinquent. Ah. <laughs> yeah, mom, you're a disgrace. Yeah, shit like that. <laughs> and uh, God, the the feeling of them then walking back and just like talking shit and like these are kids, like whatever, like they're not mad at each other. Not They're not doing this suburban thing of like passive aggressively, like just scolding someone in like a, like a nice white lady voice or anything mm-hmm. like that. The way that they're sitting there and watching their kids clean this car feels like the same thing of like, you ever you ever just stood in a crowd and watched something burn down? <laughs> like, it's really matter of fact. Yeah, like, and that's the thing is the way that this conflict is handled, you're totally right. It's not the suburban style of like, you're going to go over there and you're going to write an apology Where and you're going to do this. You don't have anything interesting to say, so you're just going to repeat like the same three talking points in a circle on the walk over there. Uh-huh. I just can't believe this. You need to do better at raising your kids. You need Yeah, no, it's just matter of fact. It's like, okay, your kids spit on my car. They're going to clean it up. And then and then we have no beef. That's what's yep. going to happen here. And so they go over and they start cleaning. And, you know, Haley and this and this woman, it's like Jancy's mom or whatever, is just standing there. And they're like, you should probably like smoke weed and chill out. And she's like, yeah, I need to get high and I need to get laid. And she's like, I know that's right. And like they're mm-hmm. having a good time because they're not mad at each other because they know this isn't a reflection of either of them. It's kids being kids. Yeah. And as long as they clean it up and make it right, then I don't fucking care. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty harmless thing, all things considered. Right. Like they're not like throwing bricks. Right. <laughs> like there's definitely kids I know who threw like heavier things over the overpass. Oh yeah. That definitely used to happen too. And then one day uh, we did get kind of a scared straight talk where somebody was like, you do realize that if that goes through a window, you could kill somebody. And we were mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Okay. You don't think like, <laughs> Oh, oh bad. glass can break. What? Right. Like you just, you don't think about it in that regard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, yeah, we definitely stopped doing that, but there's so many little moments like that throughout this movie where I like, I can't explain it, but, the way that people talk about movies feeling like a warm hug, there is a bit of this that does feel like a warm hug for me mm-hmm. where have I ever lived in a motel? No, but I lived in the neighborhood where the motels were. Yep. Um, I had friends that lived in the motel, so I've hung out at the motels and it, is a very different world. There's also like this forced independence of the kids where it's summer break. So they're not in school. They don't have things to keep them occupied. They've got to do something. And some of that means getting into some mischief and mm-hmm. doing things you probably shouldn't do because 
you've got to do something with your time and you've got to make your own fun and you don't have a fucking iPad to sit there and keep well, you occupied. They do have an iPad till they sell it to make rent. Correct. <laughs> so it's like you got you got to do stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Um and the the stuff that the kids get into, I I've heard people talk about how they find the kids in this movie to be really annoying and I find no, them not at all. I find them so endearing. Correct. Especially when they're fucking with Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Like when they're fucking with Bobby and they're just like eating ice cream in the lobby and he's like, once it drips, you get out of here. And they're just slowly watching him, not losing eye contact mm-hmm. with him. Like that stuff's really funny when they're trying to show off for Jancy and it's like, here's the room that we're not allowed to go in. And then they go in and turn the power off for the entire motel. They know the skivvy on every person in the hotel. Oh yeah. Like this guy gets arrested a lot. Yeah. This guy never wears pants. Like, like that's just how kid life is. You know, everything because you just observe everything. You absorb everything. You're a little sponge. Mm hmm. And like some of the, like the, that's what this movie does really, really well um, as an overarching theme is that uh, until the very, very end of the movie, when you and I were breaking down and crying, um, these kids don't really know the gravity of the situations that they're in. No. Because they're just surrounded by like the magic of youth and like the innocence of this having been their whole life and they don't realize how bad it is. Yeah. So that is definitely a thing in this movie and why I get very... Oh, talking about it, is that there are a few things more heartbreaking than when a child becomes aware of their circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens at different times for everybody. Mm-hmm. But for somebody like Mooney and Dickie and Jancy, they're they're surrounded by people who also live like them. They're surrounded by people who also this live is normal. in the motel. This is normal for them. And like, yeah, they do interact with like tourists, but they're also aware that these are tourists. They hate tourists. Like they don't live here. So we hate these people. Yep. They Tourists are an excuse for them to make money. Yeah, exactly. And so there are things that happen that to us as outsiders looking in, we're like, this is horrifying. But to them, this is all they've ever known. So mm-hmm. they don't understand that this is a problem. There was a, a, a couple moments I distinctly remember being really like shocking for me is that one, I always knew to some extent that the school that I went to, like like the Tri-County area of like our high school, I knew that we were like the poor kids, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until I joined speech team and we would travel from high school to high school and not just see the gym. Cause like traveling for like sports is one thing that I, you know, did forever growing up for like baton or whatever. But in speech team, we went through like classrooms cause that's where you would compete is in classrooms mm-hmm. and seeing how much newer their books were or how much newer their computers were, how much cleaner things were, how like their bathrooms weren't falling apart. Mm-hmm. There was no graffiti everywhere. That th- There's no fucking metal detectors. Like all the stuff that my school didn't have and seeing it and realizing like there are people who get to come to this school every single day and they just live in a world and have access to things that I will never have access to mm-hmm. was really fucking jarring the first time it happened because it's one thing to know, okay, they live differently than I do. It's another thing to see it. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing to experience it. And that was rough. Like it was a really, really rough awakening. 
And that's not to say I didn't have awakenings prior to high school. I obviously did. But that is one that I will never forget because in my brain, I don't know why, but in my head, I thought like, well, once you get to high school, it's like even because they're preparing us for college in the real world. So I like convinced myself that it wasn't as bad, Mm -hmm. that it was that it was fine. And then I went to one of these rich ass schools and I was like, oh, oh, no, no, we're still like we're the bottom of the barrel. Got it. Mm -hmm. This is why people like chant stuff about how we're poor. (laughs) Okay. Got it. (laughs) Just like you don't, you don't have context for something like that. Or at the very least, I don't know how this was for you, but like everyone in my neighborhood at the end of this dead end street where I wasn't able to sell my wares as a young entrepreneur, (laughs) um, they were all like these single floor houses with really tiny rooms and, my family was absolutely white trash, especially like my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad was like, my dad was so clearly dyed in the wool white trash, but he wanted to pretend he wasn't, but he so was. Mm-hmm. Like we had uh, a car that he was trying to build ever since he was like 30 or something like that. But it was mm-hmm. just like the metal body of like a classic car that you would see in American graffiti or something with that, mm-hmm. but it had nothing in it except for like a gorgeous, pristine engine with a tarp over it. <laughs> and he just never worked on it for like 15 years. Oh my God. Cause kids are expensive. And he was resentful of that. Like he would watch NASCAR go hunting all of the, all of the very stereotypical dad redneck kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. We watched blue collar comedy tour every Christmas for like eight years. But there was a guy across the street from us that everyone called Bunky. And Bunky had, you know, bed sheets over his windows and bred Dobermans in the backyard and had a monster truck that hadn't moved for my entire life. So it's like, oh, no, we're we're we might be white trash, but we're ashamed of it. Or we might not have that much money because I was born the child of a factory worker. But we're not like that. (laughs) That was kind of like, I think, the implication that I was raised to believe is it's like, we're not poor. That's poor. Mm -hmm. We're Less poor than that. (laughs) So you know how there's the expression like living on the wrong side of the tracks? Sure. You were the wrong side of the tracks? Yes, but they weren't tracks. They weren't like literal tracks. It was a main street. And the side that I lived on was the poor side. Mm -hmm. And the other side, and like it was kind of stark, like how immediately you cross that line and then suddenly... The houses have another story on them and the lawns are better and Mm -hmm. everything is better on that side of town. And it's because the other side of town, that is what connects you to the other the other cities, the other towns in the area. Like you have to go through that side. So they prioritize making that side look nice because you only go to my side of town if you're staying in town. So they don't give a shit about that side of town. If you, if you live there. Yeah, if you live there. That's the only way. So, like, I always had that knowledge as a kid of, like, oh, that's the nice side. Like, mm. like we all knew the names of, like, the little cul-de-sacs and the little, like, you know, communities of, like, oh, that's this place. That's this place. That's where all those people live. Like, oh, you have a crush on a guy. Where does he live? Oh, he lives. It was called Covenant Cove. It's like, oh, he lives in Covenant Cove. <sighs> Good luck. He's not mm-hmm. going to want to date someone from our side of the side yeah. of the city. Um, like, so those were things I was always hyper aware of. Um, and I remember being a really little kid and getting invited to a birthday party. It's because mm-hmm. when you're a kid, people tend the whole to, class, the whole class go. goes. Oh, yeah. No, I had that. Uh, I got invited to a kid whose dad was a lawyer. 
Oh. Oh, they were oh. next to it. They live next to a golf course and it was at least three stories and they had like an arcade in the basement. What is up with that? I it also was like, had that. What? Yeah. Like it was like, oh, you're going to go in the basement. That's where the playroom is. And I'm like, you mean their bedroom? And they're like, no, the playroom. And I'm like, what? Furnished basements, baby. <laughs> That's the Midwest. Well, we had a furnished basement too, but it was like my dad's like, here's where I keep all my sports memorabilia. It's yeah, not for children. That's his man cave. That's it was, different. It was like the man cave and it was the whole basement eh. um but like <laughs> would go over to these houses and like they have arcade games or they have pools or they have all these things and i was like what is happening this isn't real mm -hmm. i don't believe in this this is fake shit <laughs> i don't know i mean it's all it's all relative like again my family found excuses to feel better about themselves by putting people down where it's like you're gonna end up like your cousin stuck working at walmart or you're gonna end up like your other cousin That's living living in a trailer park like they found other ways to like shit on my family for context of being like, we're better off than them. You well, yeah. can do better than that. That's that's how white people in capitalist societies work. It's like they cannot accept the socioeconomic level they're in, so they find ways to infight. And that's that's what the people at the top want. They yeah. want us to all hate each other so that we don't join forces and hate them. Yeah, <laughs> I, w I wonder how much my life would have been different if my family just admitted that they were like kind of white trash. I mean, I don't have an answer for that. I know, but I, I, it's something I would ponder and just like be like, I wonder how it would have been different. Like, my mom would have like, it would have been like pulling teeth. Yeah. Because that's not as much on her side of things. Mm -hmm. um, it just ended up like generations down. It ended up not becoming like, oh, you're not white trash because you work at Walmart. You work at Walmart because there's very few jobs where we live because we're in a dying society. Yeah. Um. So it was a different kind of thing, but... Yeah, I don't know. I think what's interesting about this movie is it definitely has an us versus them mentality. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but also it's like everyone's kind of in the same boat and they all accept it. Like they bicker and they yell and they have like various little 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 spats. But at the same time, they're all they they've created a little community. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's like there's not different levels where people are shitting on each other. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what Haley's situation is that she ended up in this hotel in the first place. Like, I don't know what's up with her parents. We'll never know. But either she is the one that the family is like, you're going to end up like your fucking shitty, worthless cousin Haley. Mm -hmm. Or they just don't talk about her at all. Mm -hmm. Like, that's probably the, the extent of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There's something like, like, a, like, a, like a warm hug or something like that about everyone being on the same level. Mm-hmm. And make and do with that for me. Oh, definitely. And there is such a like it takes a village sort of vibe because as much as Bobby is annoyed by Haley constantly being late on the rent and the kids getting up into, you know, whatever oh, mischief they're getting he's into. He's like, that's he, my kid. He loves them. Like and at one he point is he ends a protector. up. Yeah, like when she ends up like ripping her pad out and sticking it to the window because she's mad at him, like a mm -hmm. like a like a bratty teen. Um, he counts like you have till three. One too and i was like yeah you're clearly like you're being a dad yes and like bobby has his own whole things where he's got a weird relationship with his son and clearly mm -hmm. his ex-wife or at the very least like his son's mother um i don't know i think he's getting some 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 familial validation mm -hmm. out of taking care of her and mooney mm -hmm. so i mean definitely because he you know he feels for them because I feel for them. Well, we all feel for them, yeah. But when you're somebody like Bobby who, like, you run a motel, the only people who take long extended times in motels are people who need them. Mm -hmm. And so he's he's 
working with people every single day that are in difficult situations. And he is an adult that understands the gravity of all the situations that they are in. Mm-hmm. Um, and But at the same time, there is also a limit to what is acceptable um, because, for example, uh, Dickie's mom, Ashley, works at a restaurant, or like works at a diner. And, and it's she, clearly a Waffle House. It's it's clearly a Waffle House, but like, they, I don't think It doesn't they, use Waffle House branding, but it is absolutely it is a Waffle absolutely House. It is absolutely Waffle House. Um, All the wood paneling in yellow. <laughs> so she like sneaks the kids food during the day to take care of them, but eventually she does stop because she finds out that Haley is, she's running tricks at the I mean, motel. I mean, that's not why she stops. She stops because she blames Mooney for burning down some well, abandoned that too. condos. Yeah, Mooney's a bad like, influence. I'm not going to have you get my son in trouble for burning shit down. Yeah, Mooney gets gets them in trouble, and so she doesn't want that. So, like, there are limits to what uh-huh. some of them are willing to put up with. Um, but when she finds out that, like, Haley is tricking, like, it becomes a big thing where she's like, if my kid was ever around you when you were doing that, I will fucking kill you. And the thing is, I believe she would. Mm-hmm. Do I think she would win? Oh, no. No, because Haley, Haley's got hands. Yep. <laughs> and we see them in action. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some very strong physicality um, in those punches. Oh, yeah. Like you, Those are survival hits. That yeah. is somebody who has hit because they they ha- learned how to survive. Yeah, like I watch a lot of movies with, with physicality, whether that be like martial arts movies, horror movies, you know, revenge movies, all sorts of things. And very rarely do I see something that I go, nope, you're, you're, throw, you're throwing everything behind those punches. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I believe those hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um. So, you know, that's sort of existing in the backdrop of the movie, which as adults, we We recognize that. We recognize that. We see some things from the perspective of the adults, but the kids don't. The kids do not. So the Florida Project gets its name because that was the working title when they were building Disney World. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when it was a secret operation, mm-hmm. when Walt was, Disney was illegally buying up more land than he was supposed to, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, and it was called the Florida Project. So, what we are looking at is we are looking at you know the poor areas that are pushed out in kind of the shadows of the bigger area, and mm-hmm. this is why this movie like really sings to me. This is the stuff that looks like normal Florida, but it's normal Florida that's been influenced by Disney. Yes. Um, you know, the the big buildings that are shaped like oranges or a wizard or something because they're mm-hmm. trying to grab the attention of tourists. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got these gigantic buildings. Um, but it it sings to me because where I grew up outside Chicago, like we were always in the shadow of Chicago. We were not Chicago proper. So like you couldn't claim Chicago. You couldn't claim that area as your home. But everything we did was in response and in the shadow of Chicago. And we were in just as shitty as a circumstance mm-hmm. as some of the shittier parts of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it was always really frustrating and there always felt like you had something to prove kind of thing. So that's why I really like this, because th- like it's just out of reach. Like mm-hmm. they can see it. They they know that it's there and they find ways to experience it without being there. So like they go through the woods and look at the animals and it rains and that's that's the animal kingdom. Going that's, on safari. That's going on safari. Or, you know, they go into the house that they fucking burned down. Um, that's the haunted mansion. It's mm-hmm. an abandoned house that they joke might be haunted. Or they take a little little hitchhiking day trip for Jancy's birthday to watch the fireworks that are, you know, 
probably a mile away mm-hmm. from the like pond side terrace of a different hotel. Mm-hmm. And all of the hotels that they stay at are all named after different areas in Disney World. Or, or close to them. Or close to, close to them. You yeah, know? like Magic Kingdom, Future I think Land. It's like Magic Castle or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It, and to the point that we even see an instance where like tourists who are traveling show up at the motel and this realize guy's dumb, this guy's dumbass fucking secretary ruined his honeymoon. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> but when you realize once they get there, it's like, oh, yeah, you you didn't do your research well nope. enough, did you? That's, this is... that's how you get fucking get your ass kicked. Uh-huh. Um, there, there's a lot of things about this movie that are like realities that like I am aware of that are cool to see in this movie. And it doesn't really explain them. It just kind of goes, here you go. Uh, that's one of them where it's like. You know, the these uh, sideshow tourist traps kind of things. This is a hotel version of that where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, sorry, you got bamboozled. And it's totally not Bobby's fault because he's just the manager. Yep. The owner is the taxi driver from Tangerine. Yeah. But playing a different character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's constantly hounding Bobby. And that's, I think, Bobby's doing the best he can within the structures that he's got. Mm-hmm. You have... Um, the instance of like him having to move them to a different um, hotel room, like stash their stuff in there and they have to go stay across the street. Yeah. Because you can't have permanent residency. So within, you know, a month or whatever it is, you have to move out. Yep. Um, and we had hotels that were like that, that were broadcast like off the highway in Ohio all the time. Mm-hmm. And my dad called them the bachelor special. The irony is he would get a divorce later, <laughs> but it would be like, yeah, th- fucking 600 a month or something like that. Yeah. You spend three weeks, one place, you one week at the other, go back. So then that way, you know, you're just fluctuating. Yeah. I had friends that did that. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, it doesn't really explain it. Like, Bobby doesn't even really spend much time. He's like, yeah, you just can't have residency. It's the way it is. Deal with it. And this is just a facet of life. And they don't really go overly in-depth on it. Yeah, he lets a lot of things in this movie just exist because this is how it exists. Mm-hmm. The one that I know a lot you of people... You don't need to explain this world to these characters. Y- exactly. And it is the audience's fault if they don't get it. Ex- 100% yes. Because one of the scenes that I, like... I love this scene, not because it's like, oh, I'm glad to see this because it's a fucking horrible thing, but it is such a reality is the scene where the kids are fucking playing on like the picnic tables and there's a creepy man who is so clearly like a predator mm-hmm. who is just lingering. He's from like New Jersey. He's like, I'm, a, I'm on vacation. I'm going to go to Florida. And while I'm there, like I'm yeah. going to do a little stuff and then go back to the real world far removed away from my sins. Exactly. And like, so Bobby clocks it immediately. The kids don't fucking know. Oh, yeah. And so then Bobby's well, like. like- the you know. setup for this is he's like painting some of the fake bricks on the place and then drops a paint can. You go, oh, Bobby, you fucked up. What are you doing? You're just drifting off. And then it's like he walks over there and you go, nope, there is a strange man. Yep. He's on a mission. Yep. And so and the best part, too, is that because Bobby is good at what he does, he's not about to be like, hey, you sicko, get away from those kids. Yep. Because that's not how you handle this situation, because otherwise you traumatize those children yep. because you make them they hyper- They don't know how bad it always yes, was. They don't know how bad it always was. It's the same reason why like, I see videos all the time of like people giving like birthday cakes to their kids and then like the kid will touch the candle. A lot of times, like yeah, it hurts, but they're freaking out because you're screaming. Mm-hmm. Because you scream like, oh my God, no, don't touch it. And then mm-hmm. they're like, oh, what did I do wrong? So they freak out. Yeah. But if you just take the guy out of the situation, it's like, have fun playing kids and you take him out and it's like, I'm going to deal with this over here. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm going to humiliate you and let you know how serious the situation is. And then you're going to get the fuck off my property. Like this is like, that's how you handle that shit. This is such a good, this is such a good scene that understands the entire tone of the movie where it's like, no, there are stakes. It is scary, but it is also kind. And also it's real funny that Bobby's just like, no, you drink your soda. Go ahead and drink your soda. I thought you were thirsty. And he takes one sip and just smacks it out of his hand. (laughs) He's like, get the fuck off my property. Yeah. It's really good. It's, it's an amazing scene. Like it balances so many different tones that the whole movie does, but it Mm -hmm. is, it is just really boiled down to like all of them in a three minute stretch. There, and the other scene that I think does this really, really well is uh, Macon Blair, who is in Blue Ruin and Green Room, and he directed the new Toxic Avenger remake. God, what, He's what, great. Good, what good movies you just dropped there. I know. Macon Blair's <laughs> filmography is like really untouchable. It's yeah. kind of disgusting how good he is. But he plays the tourist who solicits Haley and then, you know, she steals his magic bands for him and his family. Oh, yeah, because... Um... Well, this is kind of like one of the situations where reality sets into like the childhood fantasy a little bit where it's like when she is seeing, you know, her clients, she puts Mooney in the bath and just like plays like loud, loud music or whatever. Yeah. And uh, this dude has to take a piss. And even though the bathroom's off limits, he just goes, oh, there's a kid in here. And clearly when like they just close the shower curtain, he goes and you know, mm-hmm. pees and then she fucking steals the magic bands from him. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? You know what? You should have probably not brought those with you. What? Yeah. One. Why would you bring that with you? Yeah. And so he. I'm like you. You set yourself up a little bit for this. Yeah. So then he shows up the next day, uh, trying to like you know get the magic bands back, and after he's like, they've already sold them. After after they've already sold them, and you know he's he's being big and bad and being big and tough, and it becomes very clear. It's like, nah, bitch, you're on their turf. Because even Bob, like Bobby, knows what's going on. He doesn't want it to be what's going on. Yeah. Because obviously that's illegal. Mm-hmm. But he understands. It's gonna fall on him. It's gonna fall on him. It's but gonna he, end up having worse ramifications for them. Yeah. But he also understands like what Haley's going through, and in this situation. He's there to protect Haley. Mm-hmm. So he's getting in the guy's face and it's like, all right, well, sure. Yeah, we'll call. We'll get the, the we'll cops the over cops. here. I'm sure they would love to know why you were here with exactly. you know, presumably your family. What business you had uh-huh. here when you were not with your family and like really kind of laying out like you fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what she did is shitty. But this is this is on you, pal. Yep. And like, I don't I, feel bad for this guy. I don't either. Fuck I don't this feel guy. bad that she stole from him. I don't feel bad that he's getting fucking like ripped off for cheating on his wife and presumably two kids because there's four bands. Mm-hmm. Like, no, fuck this guy. Yeah. Nope. Sorry. I am not on your side on this. Yep. At all. <laughs> I be- do crime. <laughs> yeah. Like, we can argue the ethics. Of whether or not this it is was not a movie okay. about ethics. No, it's about, about fucking people. survival. Yeah, this is just people getting by, man. <laughs> and, but like, these are the scenes where, like, I watch this and it's like, God, I love this movie. God, I love this movie because it does enter this like really, you know, quote unquote, like scary territory. But it's not scary mm-hmm. to to them. This is just life. Like, this is part of life, and. We talk a lot on the show about, you know, this this idea of like drama and the fact that what can be traumatic for one person is therapeutic for another. And we all have different levels of like what we can handle. And this is a movie about people who can handle a lot. Mm-hmm. This is a movie about people who are just leather thick mm-hmm. in terms of their skin. They are well, fucking forged in the fire. Bobby spends a lot of time in the sun. 
<laughs> That's true. You see, you see just how tan Willem Dafoe is in this movie when he kicks that uh, that 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 bald child molester off his property. Yeah, that guy's man. He's real pasty. He's real ghoulish, <laughs> and you just go, man. Willem Dafoe's got a great tan. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so, like, there's a a couple other things that are like it's weird to talk about of like why I love them so much, but it's also again why I love this movie so much. The kids are also so matter of fact about everything. Like, there's that woman who she looks incredible. Like oh. the cowboy hat, the big curls, mm-hmm. the like ridiculous lashes. Like, I love this woman. The way you pitch this is this is a if Angeline didn't have money. Yes, which there's a lot of Angelines <laughs> out there who don't have money, and I love all of them. I love trashy I, women like I this. aspire to be They're one the of them best. one day. Um, but she's constantly like, you know, sunbathing it at her the... big, beautiful breasts. Like, don't touch me, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. And like the kids, so the kids like have a very like frank attitude towards nudity and sexuality because they're around it all the fucking time. Uh-huh. And it's not like the situation where like they're being weird about it. They're uh-huh. just like <laughs> banana boobs and just like laughing at her. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's shitty because kids are shitty because that's just how kids work. But I love that they're, it's not one of those things of like, you have to cover up their children. It's like, no. I mean, Bobby's trying to do that. Yeah, but he's even not doing that. He's like, girl, put them away. Yeah. Those kids are up there making fun of you. Yeah. Like, and that's really what the energy is, is like, those kids are talking shit about you. So put your tits away. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. Um, Something else I love about like these these kids and kind of how they operate is like we see this the most like maybe clearly with Dicky um, who has to move away like they're they're moving on to some other state or whatever and Dicky's dad is like packing up all their shit and they're gonna, he's gonna get new toys they're giving away all of their all of his toys to all of the kids there so many of these kids want to be exactly like their parents to the point where this small child is wearing like a, a, a like a snapback a skew that looks exactly like his dad's sideways mm-hmm. hat. And it's like, you see that or like you see Mooney and how much she's going to be just like Haley. The the one that gets me is because like, it is probably the best example of like, I know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mooney doesn't know what's happening mm-hmm. is bikini selfies. Oh yeah. Where, you know, she's taking these cute pictures of her and Mooney. But what we know is that Haley's also taking pictures of herself for her sex work online profile. Mm. Like, that's Pres- what's happening Presumably here. Craigslist. Yeah, probably Craigslist or whatever she's doing. Mm-hmm. But she can't just, like, start taking, you know, photos in a bikini. So she's got to make it fun. Got to make it a game. So it's got to become a game. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't think she's posting pictures of Mooney. Like, no, no way. But this is her... She'll, ex- like, have those photos for her. Exactly. Those are for her. But it gets, like... It, it doesn't look as suspicious. Like the way that everybody in this movie is also constantly protecting these children mm-hmm. is something that I think doesn't get appreciated because people who are not from this world or are unfamiliar with, you know, people who have to do a lot of like survival work, they don't recognize how much is going into making sure that these kids are not aware of how bleak mm-hmm. things actually are. Um, like when they do like, like Mooney doesn't realize that whenever she's with Haley and Haley's like hawking perfume or when they're hawking the, like the, the magic bands or whatever that like this, she's soliciting, like Mm -hmm. this isn't legal activity and like her manipulating people for ice cream 
is manipulation. Like she's too young to understand like fully what this means. No, that's means. just that's just that's just a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Always. <laughs> but you're right though. It is. It's it's just Tuesday. Uh-huh. Like this isn't some like this is how her life has always been. It's all she's ever known. So why would she ever question it? Yeah, I mean, okay. Um, growing up, were you very aware when your parents were badly keeping secrets? Oh my god, yeah. Like they thought they good were or bad. They thought they were so good. Mm-hmm. No, I knew. Yeah, like when my parents started doing things, like I could hear them having a screaming fight on the other end of our small house, and then they would come back and be like, "All right." um... So how are you enjoying your meatloaf today? Finish your peas. Like I'm like you're doing such a bad job of keeping a secret right now. Um, I think the fact that there is that there's no shift in tone here. They're not having to keep a secret that is any different than anything they've been doing basically the whole time, mm-hmm. and that's why it just feels really like these kids aren't picking up on it. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a point where I came home from school one day. And there was a for sale sign in our front yard. Mm-hmm. And I was pissed. You were like, we're moving? I was so mad because like they had been talking about it, you know, without telling us what was going on. And so I just came home to a for sale sign and I was, I kicked it over. I took it out of the yard. I was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a little bit later. This is like the one time my parents actually did really, really keep a secret well. Mm-hmm. The reason that they wanted to move is because they wanted to move to the other side of town because they didn't like the stigma that we were getting for living where we did. Mm -hmm. And they were afraid that like, I don't know that like we were, you know, feeling some kind of way about it because like we were getting to the age where we understood we were the poor kids, Mm -hmm. like that we were on the poor side of town that people viewed us differently because of it. And I think they wanted to like remedy that because there were definitely people that I grew up with on like our side of town that did make the move that did go over to the other side of town and have the bigger house and have whatever. And I think my parents felt like they needed to do that for us. And I, us being super mad about like, no, I don't want to fucking move to that side of town. I hate those people. Like, I think that <laughs> kind of, yeah, like I hate those people. I think that made them realize like, oh, okay, our kids are a lot more resilient than we realized. Well, some people would absolutely be like, I hate living here. I want to go live in the nice place with the nice people. I mean, and I think that that's also related to something that we're seeing right now with if you if you spend any time on TikTok, then you've probably been seeing the videos about like 10 and 11 year olds like running rampant in Sephora using like $50 moisturizers and retinols they don't need or all of this drama surrounding like Stanley cups mm. and how people are like, I really want a Stanley. And if you don't get me the Stanley, then like the kids are going to make fun of me, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, you have two options here. Either one, you give in to the peer pressure and you spend the money you don't have and get your kid the expensive thing because it's easier than them getting made fun of. Or you teach your kids how to push back. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents don't want to teach their kids how to push back because like it's uncomfortable. It, it reopens old wounds that they had from when they were kids and got bullied. But like, I mean, sometimes it's just easier like to teach your kids like the path of least resistance or in some case, no resistance. Right. Where it's just like, you know, turn the other cheek, you know, don't be on their level. Like you take this moral high ground with things. Yeah. Like, and I, I get it. I really do. Like you want your kids to have a better life than you did. You want your kids to have, you know, whatever, whatever. But if your 11 year old is like, I want $50 drunk elephant retinol. You say, no, 
you're 10. You don't need anti-aging stuff that'll you burn your skin. You don't need this that's going to rip your skin barrier and make you look like a handbag by the time you're 20. Mm. Like, you say no to them. And it's like, oh, well, so-and-so gets to do it. That's their life. That's their parenting. What happened you're to the classic, like, that. if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Right. And it's just like, there yeah, are- we would, because our generation just jokes about <laughs> killing ourselves all the <laughs> you time. You know what? That's true. That's a great uh, point. But it's it's just one of those things. Like, you can tell your kids no. Like, you can tell them no. And, like, when it comes to, like, the, the Stanley Cup thing, like, yes, I understand it's, like, $30. It's not the end of the world. But for some people, it is the end of the world. Let mm. me make that clear. For some people, th- that $30 would be make or break. For a cup? But I just I just think that there's so... I think there's something much more important in teaching resilience as well. Because by the time you're an adult, there will be times when, like, yeah, you don't get to have what you want. You don't get to do the thing that you want. And if you don't have the tools to learn how to cope with that shit... Uh, you're gonna have a bad time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we're just like we're we're not like kids aren't. I'm I'm really trying not to be like Ugh, kids these days because obviously like it's just. I mean, it's it's our generation who made them this way, right? And it's also like, the internet. It's it's you know Gen Xers and older millennials and the internet and whatever. And obviously, like it, everything is just heightened and highlighted because it's on social media. There are plenty of people that are adjusting just fucking fine. Mm. Um, but. Like, I, I want people to know that they have the power to deny things. Like, they're that's part of life. Struggling is part of life. And mm. it fucking sucks. I'm not saying it doesn't suck. But, like, if you look at this movie, they are all struggling so badly. And yet, Mooney is having so much fun. Yeah. She has genuine friendships. She's going on adventures. They're doing all this, like, really fun and creative stuff. And, yeah... She should probably get a therapist when she can afford it to unpack what a lot of this means. We'll see if she can ever afford it. Right. We'll see if she ever can. But that doesn't like you have not having everything like Mooney's not getting fucking drunk elephant retinol. Mooney's not getting a Stanley Cup. And yet she's still having a really lovely experience. And there is something really magical about being a kid. It's only when the crushing realities of adulthood start to like seep into her that suddenly things stop being fun Mm. when like the DCFS gets involved and child protective services get involved and they're going to send her to a foster home. Those are all very adult things. Those are adults making decisions for her on her behalf because in their mind, you know, this is the, the better thing for the welfare of the child and blah, 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 blah. And like, again, like on one hand, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, it's like there are people who bring up the fact that, like, my wife has an OnlyFans, therefore she shouldn't have custody of our kid. Fuck you, man. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck that shit. Should Haley be sending Mooney over to Jancy's house when she's meeting with clients? Absolutely. Don't put her in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Put her, like, send her away for that sort of thing. Yes, 100%. But sex workers have children, and sex workers should be allowed to have children. Oh, it makes me so frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Like, there are a lot of things that Haley could be better at in terms of like making sure Mooney is taken care of for sure. But also this movie is such a reflection of how the systems we have in this country fucking fail people like Mm -hmm. Haley's issue. Like when she's actually parenting Mooney, she's a great mom. 
She cares about her. She loves her. She listens to her. She wants to keep her involved. The issue is that Haley also has to worry about surviving. If Haley didn't have to worry about surviving, like she couldn't even get a job at the Waffle House. Like Ashley tells her like, oh, well, once I become a manager, like you're so hired. Mm -hmm. So Haley's looking for work. She just can't find a job. She can't get hired for, you know, X, Y, or Z reasons, probably because she doesn't have residency. She lives at a motel and people want their employees to have residency. Mm -hmm. So like, like you have to have residency to get a job, but you have to have a job to be able to afford residency. Like it's fucked. Like the whole system is fucked. Well, especially now where it's like you need to be able to have a phone so that we can reach you. You need to have access to the Internet so we can send you your work schedule. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a matter of you can just like rock up in, you know, live in your car and you dig your way out that way anymore. Yeah, it just um, doesn't exist. And it's like, yeah, she wouldn't if she worked at the diner. She wouldn't have to be turning tricks outside of the motel room if she could have like it, it's just so frustrating how quickly people want to demonize Haley as like, oh, she's this unforgivably bad mother when she's just a mother trying her fucking best. Well, there's also no I mean, there's no guidebook for being a mother when you don't have a mother or the recesses to do things. Yeah. Um, you could make arguments that like when she sells those like fun bands that she stole or whatever, those magic bands. Um, maybe they could have like used that money for something other than going to like a store and just blowing everything on, on fun treats and snacks and foods and toys and stuff. But, but like, but it's the only luxury you have. Exactly. It's like, you know, you probably could have maybe saved that for rent next time, but it's like, yeah, but if you're just making money so that you can put it away for rent, then like, that's, I don't know. You're, you're living to eat shit and die. Yeah. Like that's that it's functional. Sure. But like, is it a life? Right. And like, the thing is like everybody, regardless of socioeconomic status deserves to have nice things every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Like I, th like I think that that mentality, whenever somebody is like, Oh, you're on food stamps, but you have a cell phone, go fuck yourself. Like yeah. straight up, fuck yourself. Because the other thing that I look at in this is that I have worked with and taught and was somebody who lived in poverty. That That is part of my life. Mm -hmm. I have also managed an indoor playground where the clientele were so rich, we had to sign NDAs about who was coming into the playground that day. Mm -hmm. And I would see, you know, nannies who would have three kids taking care of these rich ass people's kids. And then there would be one day where like, you know, mom decided she's going to come to the playground today. And the kids don't connect to their moms. The kids, that is a fucking stranger as far as they're concerned. If they fell off of the swings, they went to their nanny. They did not run to their mom. Mm -hmm. Because mom, yeah, does she have a really nice house for them to live in? Has she helped, you know, get them the best clothes possible? Do they never have to worry about food? That's true. All of that is true. But those parents are not parenting their kids. They don't have a connection with their kids. Mm -hmm. They don't know their kids. And then you have Haley who is in a terrible situation, who is doing everything she can to keep them off the street and to take care of Mooney and to do what she can with the resources she has available, which is none. The resources she has are herself. And yet she's the one who is going to be deemed as an unfit mother and as a bad parent when she's doing the best that she can. And like, it is so clear to me, especially when Mooney runs away from DCFS and Haley starts screaming and they're like, well, we need you to calm her down. And she's like, you want me to help you 
take away my kid. My kid runs away and you lose my kid and I'm the one that's unfit. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, you're right, Haley. You're a hundred percent right in this situation. Oh yeah. I think that, um, there's also something about just physical proximity when, when it comes to not having money, because you can't afford like a giant house with eight bathrooms and 14 bedrooms and you can all just kind of have your own space and separate yourselves from each other. It's like, no, you, it it makes sense that Haley's going to be really close to her kid. They live in one room. Right. It makes sense that like when you see these people where it's like, oh, it's a family of 10 people crammed into a two bedroom apartment or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, they're going to be close and they're going to fight because they're they're so close. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just a reality of this situation. My family's like we were not in a big house and yet we still did everything we could to try to not be around each other. Mm-hmm. To the point where my brother moved into the garage and like I moved into the basement. We just tried to remove ourselves from having to deal with each other mm-hmm. as best as we could and did a terrible job of it mm-hmm. because we just cohabited. We were not a functioning family. There's no sister sledge in this situation, as it were. <laughs> but Haley is trying really hard once Scooty's mom calls like Child Protective Services on her for for, for turning tricks when she's in the room. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh, you're an unfit mother for this. You're an yeah. unfit mother because you beat the shit out of me. Right, right. Um, God, that whole fucking climactic scene. Like, the, the, the thing that makes me feel fucking upset about it watching this one is just that, like, there's no good outcome of, of this situation where you get these kind of happy moments where it's it feels kind of like a last meal where they go to like one of the nice hotels and they're just like, oh yeah, no, we're totally staying here and then just crush that buffet. Yeah, and then they, you know, bill it to a room yeah. of whoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They pull that, the room number I think is actually their number at their hotel. Yeah. Uh, but they have they have these 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 moments that feel like a goodbye or or a last meal or like they, they clean up, they clean up their home Anything that's like any box that's like half empty, it's like, no, throw it out. We're going to make it seem like you got lots of food. Mm-hmm. We're going to look, make this hotel look real nice. And they're not going to take you away, even though I'm pretty sure she's convinced they're going to. Yeah. Like Haley knows the severity of the situation and she's protecting Mooney from it. Yeah. But what is, what is, what is the good option for this? Like Bobby's doing his best to just be like, no, it'll just be for a little, for a little while. Like, I don't, I don't know why they're yelling at your mom. Like it's fine. But what happens? Mooney gets it gets taken away, gets put in like a foster home or gets put with a fam- family and she'll probably be seen as like this problem child. Oh, because she's going to fucking lash out. Oh, she's 100 percent. I mean, she's used to just like unlimited freedom mm-hmm. and she's also going to be very angry. Mm-hmm. So like there's no good circumstance here. Like there's no, no good end to this, even though the ending feels nice because mm-hmm. like they run away and they go to Disney and they finally get to experience what all the rich kids and the tourists get to experience that they have lived like right next to their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Well, so the thing with this ending, too, so it's it's twofold is so one, uh, this is the first time that Mooney actually realizes the severity of her situation and cries. Mm-hmm. And when Brooklyn Prince shows up at Jancy's house and is crying and is like, you're my best friend, and I'm never going to see you again. Oh, I'm going to cry now. No. <laughs> <laughs> like it's too, it's too much. It's, mm-hmm. oh, it's too much to handle. Um, oh, because I've seen that look. Oh, I've seen that look in so many kids' faces of when they realize that the world is unfair and that, and they don't understand why it's unfair and you can't 
help them. Like you can't tell them, like you can't sit down a six year old and be like, well, let me explain to you uh, the systemic injustices of a capitalist society. Like you can't do that shit with a six year old. Mm-hmm. It's just not how this works. Um, so, you know, she, she grabs Jancy and they run and they run through the city and then, you know, they run to, you know, presumably Disney world and Sean Baker and them, they did, you know, what I, what I do like, what I do take solace in is that those actors really did get to go to Disney world that day because mm-hmm. they had to get in the park to shoot that footage and they shot yep. it with, you know, phones or whatever. Yep. Um, but gorilla style shooting in Disney. But the thing that, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I love this ending. They finally got to go to Disney World. And it's like, okay, look in. Not necessarily. No, they didn't. Like, they did not get to go. Like, this you is, can't this sneak This is very in. similar to how he did the end of, like, Red Rocket. Yeah. Where so, it's like, this is going to leave this open-ended. Because, like, this story doesn't really have an ending. Yeah. Because this isn't a story. This is just, you know, a, a specific place in time. Yeah. So, to me, how I've always interpreted this ending and how I think most people interpret this ending um, if they've been through this is that we are finally seeing what the world looks like through Mooney and Jancy's eyes mm-hmm. when they're running and having imagination and having fun and doing whatever it is like being in Disney. Like it's magical to them. The world is magical to them and it's kind of hopeful because you realize in this moment, like, the magic hasn't fully died for them yet. Like mm-hmm. they are still seeing the world as if it's Disney world. And that's a good thing because the other option is that they actually did break into Disney world, which I promise you didn't fucking happen because yep. Disney has very good security. Yep. <laughs> There's no way in hell that's happening. Um, so to me, it's like, okay, you know, there, there is hope here. The magic has not gone away. That's a good thing. Um, but it is just like, God, it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And like Brooklyn Prince is so talented. And all I think about is like, what did they do to get that poor baby to cry that hard? Uh-huh. <laughs> God. I don't I don't know. But I think about you know, and as we were kids in the 90s, Disney was real hot in the 90s, but the access to Disney World that they don't have despite being right there. Even just like the access to like Disney products they don't seem to have because Disney things are kind of seen as a little bit of a luxury product. But I think about like even just like the stuff they consume, like they're not watching Disney movies, they're not playing with Disney, they're playing with like free toys that they found or stole or were given by their friend who moved away. They're not watching, you know, The Little Mermaid or whatever, like we did growing up. They're watching infomercials. Everything on mm-hmm. the TV is always an infomercial or Greg the Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always like infomercials. Like that's always just like what they're watching because I assume they have three channels. And it's probably like the really bad ones where it's nothing but just like as seen on TV ads. There's there's just nothing there, there. There's there's no magic being presented to them like they're making their own magic. Yes. And so it's really hard when you're right there and then you just you're right there. Mm-hmm. Like I've been in a backyard at someone's house and seen Disneyland's fireworks go off and we were all like, ooh, but it was like a mile away. Right. So. I also think what is fascinating is like, so people love this movie as they rightfully should. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Because it's a great movie. Masterpiece. But I'm always, I don't want to say a little sus, but I'm a little sus sometimes when people I know who are not from like this world or who do not know people like this love this movie because I want to know why you like this movie. Mm -hmm. Do you like this movie because You you get it? You get it or because, oh, it's this 
this this heartbreaking story and you feel such pity and oh my god can you believe people have to live like this oh my god it's such a honest and vulnerable look at the society but, but, but I, like i remember being stuck at the only hotel on the off ramp in the middle of somewhere and i stayed at this sleazy hotel and it was quite dreadful and i thought oh i hope i don't get bed bugs these people like live like this all the time and could you imagine living like that all right, so I'm going to read some of the headlines of reviews of this movie from when it came out because I think I think I can I can tell uh how a person lived based on their headline. Thrillingly vibrant. Okay. The lower depths in an Orlando motel. Mhm. The cinematic antidote to helicopter parents. Um I don't I don't know if this is the antidote to anything. Enchantment in a shabby motel. Yeah, sure. Florida Project turns a decrepit corner of Orlando into a cinematic playground. No, that one sounds fair. That one I think sounds fair too, but I'm like, why'd you use the word decrepit? I mean, <laughs> it's not it's not like an abandoned property. It's just old and wasn't probably built well in the first place. The Florida Project is a magical ode to childhood. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, authentic drama, one of the year's best. Eh. <laughs> the Florida Project is a boisterously funny heartbreaker of a film. That's how I feel about it, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, that's what this movie is. Like, I don't... So many dramas, they want to be taken seriously with their themes to the point where they sacrifice humanity. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, man, people people who are poor, like, they, they know how to have fun. Yeah. Fuck, man. Like, you ever gone tailgating? You ever just, like, <laughs> you find ways to have fun. Like, my family went down to Myrtle Beach one year. And personally, I could have found my own fun. But, like, my dad decided to spend a decent amount of money going to book some times at golf courses so he didn't have to spend time with his family. Again, we found ways to remove ourselves from each other in my household <laughs> growing up. And one of my mom's friends who she was uh, from a fairly infamous Taco Tuesday incident in my life, they were like, oh, just. Come to come to our hotel. They've got a pool and they've got like water slides. It was way nicer than where we were staying. So then my mom's like, hey, we're going to go there. But your name is Connor if anybody asks. <laughs> I was like, okay. And like well, my mom also did the same thing because we also definitely used to do that. And it's like, why would they ask? <laughs> like, why They're going to come any- up to this child and just be like, what room are you in? Yeah, no one's going to fucking do that shit. What is this, Home Alone 2? Right. Like that's, that's not a thing. Um- and then I couldn't even have that much fun because they're like, don't draw too much attention to yourself. Don't splash. Just just sit there in the water. Kind of. Just li- float like a buoy. A little bit. Like, my parents were so afraid of getting caught doing something that was, like, mildly. Le- they wouldn't have called the cops. They would have just been like, okay, you got to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it would have been fine. Um, but, like, I could have made my own fun, but that was what they thought they needed to be doing in order to give us a better vacation, I guess. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Um I just love this so- movie so much. And there are so many scenes that I think to the outside world are such like nothing scenes, but to me, like really just make my heart happy. Like before Haley and Ashley, you know, beat the shit out of each other. Um, when they have the conversation of like, you know, if I get the, you know, if I get to become a manager, I'm so going to hire you. They're going out that night. Right. Mm-hmm. Haley and Ashley, they get all decked up. They get they they put on their nice makeup and their good earrings and their good shoes and they're going out. They're not going to the clubs. 
They're going to a parking lot. They're going <laughs> to a food stand in a parking lot where you have to order from a window uh-huh. because that's the fucking place to be. Yep. And I live for that shit. Like that, that to me, like that is a fun time out on out on the evening with my friends. Like that's where I want to go. I don't want to go to the fucking club. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go do something like that. I want to go stand outside and eat a hot dog in a shitty picnic table as random people cycle through like Mm -hmm. oh my god I love that and the thing is like that is the fun for them like that is we're going out like I just I love that I love it so fucking much and I'm just so glad that this movie exists because Sean Baker taps into a a type of reality that never gets highlighted and if it does it is set up as like this is the worst possible situation. This is a terrible situation. You should feel bad for these characters. That's really what it should. You should pity these characters. And this movie never fucking pities these characters. Even nope. at the it's, very this end. This movie wants you to love them. Yes. Not feel bad for them like the way that like an Aronofsky film does. Yes. It wants you to meet at their level. And if you can't get on their level, then fuck you. Like, yep. And I love that energy so much. And even when, like, even when Mooney is crying her eyes out and she's going to be taken away by you know child protective services the movie still doesn't want you to feel bad for them this movie wants you to go this is part of their life mm-hmm. this is just a this is the fabric of their life i feel bad about the situation i feel yes. bad about the reality i feel bad that mooney's crying because yes. i love her so much like oh uh, it's it's crazy how good this movie is and yep. how well this movie taps into that feeling because it's like i want to know what happens to Mooney? But at the same time, I don't want to know because if I allow, I, I don't want the realities to uh, no, kick her ass. If I, because if I let the adult reality and the statistical reality and whatever kick in, I know how Mooney ends up, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. I want to continue to live in that magic with her of still seeing the world like she's at Disney. That's mm-hmm. what I want. I want that is why that is the perfect ending because I can leave and I can lie to myself. And I'll be cool with it because I don't know how much longer that magic is going to exist for Mooney. Yep. Like, oh, God. Here, here, So I'm thinking about this movie and obviously it's a little bit outside of our like age range wheelhouse, but it's absolutely about growing up. So it's, it's perfect for what we do. Um, the closest movie I can think of to what we've done here is fucking Spring Breakers. Yeah, that's probably the the, 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 the the closest similarity we have in terms of just overall tone. But those are like girls going on spring break. They're going like, you know, they're I don't know. They're they're putting on their their costume of someone who does doesn't have money and is trashy, but also wants to have money and spend it frivolously. Like as far as stuff like this is concerned, like you you can't you just die in the class that you're born into. And we all know how hard it is to, like, climb out of where we exist financially in America. And. I don't know. I just feel like this this is the reality of a lot of people who want to like have like an authentic existence, but mm-hmm. they masquerade it. Mm-hmm. You know, where like it, it's essentially like some people who try to relate to this but truly can't. Like it's the concept of like gentrification where it's yeah. like I want to live in this neighborhood because it helps with my story and I like the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, because if you actually are a person struggling, you end in this neighborhood because you're struggling. Mm hmm. You end up in this situation and with like around people like this and in environments that are, 
you know, poor and trashy like this, like where I grew up my whole adult life in a a very not bounced back yet part of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Like so many people who just they 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 think that they understand the struggle and the drama because they watched a movie or because their their struggle is relative. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, so where Harmony and I live, um, like, I like our neighborhood. I like our neighborhood a lot, actually. Um, but when we were starting to, like, look for places, we had multiple people that were like, just make sure that you're on this side of this road because anything on, like, this one main road is, like, you know, it's kind of sketchy and it's kind of whatever. And so then we moved here and we went on that road and we're like, what are you talking about? This just looks like Cleveland. This just looks like Cleveland. Like nothing about this is sketchy or like, I feel no danger here. This like is, what are you where, talking this about? This is where I found out some people that I've like, I've really not chose to hang out with certain people who are like, oh my God, once you move to Los Angeles, I can't wait to hang out with you. And I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we don't live in don't live similar lives so, some people said like <laughs> oh well i know that like and i'm like oh god like i just can't handle like the wage disparity in um los angeles because there's billionaires and also so many people on the streets and they go don't worry you get used to it and i'm like i don't think i want to be friends with you if that's your response to that and it's like <laughs> nope no thanks <laughs> i don't i don't want to get i don't want to get desensitized to this <laughs> yeah there's, there's just a lot that this movie and how people process it that that, that makes me think and makes me feel outside of just the movie itself, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that that's that's movie magic. Yeah. Like, when a movie is able to influence your life in ways that you were not anticipating or make you think differently about your life, it, like, that's powerful. And, you know, again, movies are, are empathy machines. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Roger Ebert, for giving the greatest quote about movies ever. And on that note, the Florida Project is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them tickets so they can go on their own? Uh, yes, it's it's a yes. I, lo <laughs> I love every Sean Baker movie. They are all great. Um, I will probably never make a movie in my life solely, whether I wanted to or not, but solely because people don't let trans people actually have money to make fucking movies. Yeah. Um, but he makes the kind of movies that I would want to make. Mm-hmm. Because I just care about people who don't get to be in films. Mm -hmm. I, I care about the stories of people who don't get to tell their stories very much. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love I love Florida Project. Uh, watch every other Sean Baker movie because they're pretty much just more of this, mm -hmm. but just different people in different scenarios and settings, and they're all and, great. And he's he's got a, a new one coming out apparently later this year. He's working on one that'll come out next year. Like. Mm -hmm. Give me all the Sean Baker movies for the love of God, please. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, thank you as always for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or on Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what band are you recommending? based on the Florida Project. So the band that you're getting this week is Apes of the State. They're a, uh, a folk punk band that admits to being one of the few folk bands outside of Pat the Bunny who actually admits to being a folk punk band. <laughs> because most people are like, no, because there's a bad stigma with that. Um, there was actually a, a nice little conversation that sparked up on DIY Twitter recently about 
this band and their album, This City Isn't Big Enough, from like seven years ago. And it was about how like the idea of like the album cycle means nothing because you sometimes an album can continue to be popular and can continue to be your most successful release long after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that with the internet, the concept of the album cycle is kind of going away because it's not like you bought the album. Now you have the album and eventually people will stop buying the album. It's like, no, it can continue to gather momentum and end up in the algorithm and do stuff like that. And that's really just an interesting way of redefining this. But all of Apes of the States um, songs are really good. There's somebody that I've been following for a really long time. Um, my favorite song has always been Bill Collector's theme song, which is why we ended up here. But mm-hmm. all of the lyrics that you get are mostly just about how like people are struggling, but also friendship and also America sucks and capitalism sucks. The band released a split EP along with Sister Wife Sex Strike last year or like a couple months ago mm-hmm. called They Can't Kill Us All. So like they continue to keep putting out stuff, even though like the biggest release from like seven years ago. And it was fairly un- uh, a fairly small thing when I found out about it, but it's now it's like, Oh look, millions of streams. I'm really proud of you. I love that. And one so, more time. What's the name? Apes of the state. Perfect. Alrighty y'all. We will see you next week. And as always save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. balloons thrown at tourists. You can't fuck with tourists. They didn't tip us. Are you serious? No. Oh my god, this is unacceptable. I failed as a mother, Moni. You disgraced me. Harley. Yeah, Mom, you're disgraced. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.